Welcome to the Damon Parker Podcast. On this week's episode, you will hear the sermon I preached on January 29th, 2017, entitled, Saying No. In it, we look at spiritual warfare, not just the idea of angels and demons, but the daily grind of faithfully following after Jesus. That is our spiritual warfare. I hope you are motivated and encouraged by this week's sermon. And may God bless you. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, uh, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he is the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed, and on the third day, raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Years ago, when I was a junior in high school, I went to Haiti for part of the summer. And while I was there, I heard this story that I'm going to tell you. Um, we were, it was, uh, I think it was the second Saturday we were there, and we were uh, with the people that we had been staying with. There's a couple of missionaries who were down there, worked for Mana International. They drilled water wells. Uh, pretty much all day, every day in this country. Uh, it's an island surrounded by water and there's almost no clean drinking water. So they go village to village trying to help people find some fresh, clean water. So while they were, uh, while they were doing that, of course, they'd met other missionaries. So on the, one of the Saturdays we were there, we went with uh, like three missionary families. And the first half of the day, we took all of their kids and took care of them so that the the parents could kind of enjoy some time uh, just hanging out with adults for a little while. And then the second half of the day, we all hung out together. And at the end of the day, uh, we put the kids in bed, and, and, and we stayed up a little late, and so we were playing cards and, and sharing stories and stuff. And one of the missionaries shared this story. And they lived in Haiti uh, for about three years at the point this story happened. And 
um, they had been given a, a car. And uh, this was like a big deal. Uh, they didn't have money for a car. They'd been given a car, and they had used it. They were just starting to use it for a couple of things. And his, he and his wife decided they wanted to go visit this, this little church that was a little ways from the town in which they lived. And they finally felt comfortable um, leaving their two young children with a native Haitian who would take care of them for the evening. This was the first time they were leaving their kids alone while they were in this country. So they talked to the kids, got them ready. Uh, I maybe even put them in bed, I don't know, it's it late in the evening. And then they drove out to this other town. Well, when they returned, when they came back to uh, their, their little, the village where they lived, as they were pulling in, they could see that something was happening. There were police, there were people running around, they knew what was going on. And as they got closer to their house, they realized that all this commotion was happening Right at their house. Right outside their house. There's people, there's the police, there's all this stuff going on right at their house. Well, of course, if you're a parent or have ever thought of being a parent, they were flipped out by this. They run in the house, and when they run in the front door, uh, there's a policeman standing there, and the woman who was keeping their children, and she is flipping out. Uh, almost petrified. Now, one of the things you have to understand about Haiti is that, uh, at least when I was there, um, about 80% of the island of Haiti claims Catholicism, and about 95% of the people there at the time uh, practiced voodoo. Um, it's a very interesting culture. Well, what had happened, as they kind of got word from... The woman was that after the parents had left, uh, there had been some kind of voodoo event going on and the people were walking down the street and at, for some reason had come and kind of surrounded the house and were chanting. And the, it, the lady was freaking out. Uh, they're going to come in and kill us. They're after us. This is horrible. This is terrible. This is, you know, really scared. These people were chanting some pretty scary stuff and she was... She was trying to call the police. The phones in Haiti are notoriously don't work all the time. Uh, but this is before cell phones. It is a crazy situation. She said they were freaking out. And she went and grabbed the kids and tried to hide in the house. So that if people came in, she would be, you know, maybe she could protect the kids. But she was so freaked out. And that then the police arrived. And when the police arrived... Everyone, the police could tell there had been a crowd here, but was running away. The crowd was dispersing. Before the police got there, the crowd was dispersing. Well, the parents, you know, they kind of, this is what they got out of the police. This is what they got out of their, the lady who was keeping their kids. So they went to the kids and said, you know, are you okay? And the kids seemed really calm, considering all the commotions going on. Really calm. And they said, hey, you know, are you okay? Are you scared? We're fine. Well, you're not scared? No, we're good. They said, why? They said, well, you know, after you left, some people came and they, and they surround the house and they were chanting and we were scared. We were scared and we were looking out the window and then the two big men came set on the fence and scared everybody away. And the parents said, the two big men? You mean like the police came? Said, no, no, no. 
Before the police came, the two big men, they came and sat on the fence and scared everybody away. And the parents said, did you know them? They said, no, but they waved to us and scared everybody away. And so we waved back and then the, you know, the housekeeper came and grabbed them and got under the bed and everything, but we knew we were okay. The two big men were going to take care of us. Now, understand, when near, this is like 1130 at night. We're hearing this story. It's very dark. Um, every night we were in Haiti, you could hear voodoo drums. I was a little freaked out by the story. Now, obviously, the story has this wonderful happy ending, and, and it leads us to believe that God certainly took care of this family and what the effort they were making for the gospel here, that God sent some protectors for them. And I want to tell you that for most of my life, when I have talked or heard about spiritual warfare, something like that is what I've had in mind. Uh, angels coming and literally protecting someone from something horrible happening. Um, our, um, you know, kind of... Uh, demons possessing someone and the gospel coming and trying to free them. This is how I have typically thought of spiritual warfare. And I want to tell you that I think that's right. I think that is spiritual warfare and I think it goes on. But there's something else I want to add. And that is this, I think that a story like that, while that is spiritual warfare, is a very small piece of the spiritual warfare that actually goes on in our world. And it's a small piece of the spiritual warfare that actually happens in our lives. While we may have times or moments where we feel assaulted by evil, maybe you wake up in the middle of the night and you feel like something, I've heard people share those kind of stories. While you may have those times, I want to tell you, if that is what we believe is all is spiritual warfare, then we are missing most of the battle. Because most of the battle in spiritual warfare isn't fought by angels coming and sitting on our fence. Although that's a glorious victory. Most of our battle, I think, looks more like the story we just read. Now, you may not have thought of this story as spiritual warfare, but this story most definitely is spiritual warfare. After Jesus tells Peter, I mean, tells, the, you know, asks the disciples, who do you think I am? And they're kind of naming different people. And, you know, what do you think? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the one. And God says, this is great. Right? It's given to you by the Father above. that You know who I am. This is great. Now that you understand who I am, let me tell you what I'm here to do. And he begins teaching them about that he must suffer. He's going to go to Jerusalem, be crucified. He begins telling them this. Now, understand, Peter has just said, you're it. You're the Holy One of God. You're the one we should listen to and follow. And then Jesus says, well, here's what I'm going to do. And Peter's like, no, no. Uh-uh. Now, I don't know why Peter said this. I don't know if it was that Peter wanted something different, like, no, 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 your job is to suffer, your job is to go kick the Romans out. Maybe that's what Peter wanted. Or maybe Peter just loved this man so much that he didn't want to hear one of his best friends in the world say, I'm going to go die. 
I don't know what Peter's reasoning was, but Peter confronts Jesus. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. This is not what we want. This is not what I want to see happen to you. We're not going to let this happen. I'll prevent it. These guys will prevent it. You've got to stop it. This won't happen. And Jesus says this. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. That might be the most up and down day that any human being has ever had, right? I mean, one minute, you're the Christ, the Son of God. You're right. This is the greatest thing that's ever been known. Get behind me, Satan. But I want you to see beneath this. I want you to see the spiritual warfare, the battle that is taking place even as Peter talks. Peter says, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't need to do that. Don't go suffer. Don't, no, you don't need that. That's, that's not for you. Now, we focus on the get behind me, Satan. Because that sounds, whoo, like we could imagine somebody saying that to us. But you've got to remember that the word Satan, as used in the Bible, means the adversary. In other words, Peter, in what he's saying, has suddenly become adversarial to Jesus. To what Jesus is about. Jesus knows, yeah, I am the Christ. I am the one sent from God. But I have a mission, and here's what it is. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Let's don't do that mission. Let's do something else. And Jesus says something interesting. Not just get behind me, Satan. Not just, you're my adversary. Stop it. He says, you are a stumbling block to me. Think about what he's saying. Peter, you're tempting me. You're, you're, you're wanting me to question my mission. And my mission is hard. And if I start questioning my mission, if I start going down that path, if I start being tempted, remember Jesus said, the Bible says he was tempted in every way. I can't be moved from this path. I have to stay on the path. This is what I'm called to do. This is God's will for me to go and suffer and redeem people. This is what I'm about. And you are tempting me to do something else. Now, why would it be tempting? We don't usually think of Jesus this way, right? That something could be a stumbling block for Jesus? I don't know. Not dying and going and doing it some other way? I can see how that would be a stumbling block. I can see why you'd want to choose a different path if you could. I mean, does Jesus, when he goes to the garden and says, if there's any way we can do this any other way, I don't think he's faking there. I think he's being legitimate. This is what, hey, if there is some way, God, for it not have to be like this, I would prefer that. But, notice what he says in the garden. Not my will, but yours. And notice what he says here to Peter. I, I can't even listen to that kind of talk. The path is hard enough without you tempting me, Peter. I don't think he's calling Peter an evil, terrible person, like, oh, at this moment you're possessed by Satan. No! 
It's just that you are bringing up things, desires that conflict with what my faith is telling me I need to do. We have to at some point understand this. Spiritual warfare isn't just a demon and an angel fighting. Spiritual warfare is anything that keeps us or attempts to keep us from the path that Jesus has set us on. Anything that becomes a stumbling block or pulls us aside or causes us to desire something besides the path of Jesus is now a war for our soul. For Jesus, the temptation was some other way. Our stumbling blocks may be different. Sometimes I think uh, the stumbling block, the Satan that comes before us, is the desires that a land of riches like we live in puts before us. Oh, man. I can see if this was, if Jesus came now and he came to America, that Peter may not tempt him by, no, don't suffer, but might tempt him with, Jesus, just, you got all this power, so just live in the lap of luxury. I mean, why, why be poor and downtrodden when, I mean, you can do whatever you want. You can be anything you want. You could have whatever you want. How many of us, the path of following Jesus, the thing that makes us stumble so often is, oh, well, look at that. Oh, I need that. Oh, I could have that. If I just spend more time and energy, I could really get that. Doesn't everybody have one of those? And what are we doing? We are being tempted off the path that Jesus has set us on. And there's lots of things like that. It's not just money or material things. There are lots of desires that we have, sometimes even good desires, that pull us off the path, that battle for our soul. Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me. In other words, that is tempting for me. You know one of the greatest ways that we can fight the spiritual battle? Is to be honest about what's tempting for us. Right? I mean, there's some of you that if I said, hey, there's a sale at Dillard's, you'd be like, well, I don't care. Clothes aren't tempting. There's other of you if I said, hey, there's a sale at Dillard. When? Today? Because that's a temptation for you. And so to know what our temptation is, is so important. Because that's one of the ways we fight to stay on the path Jesus has put us on. i got to be honest. Shoes are not my temptation. I'm going to say a couple things that aren't mine before I tell you what they are. Shoes are not my temptation. I think I inherited that. Uh, when I left for college, my dad was still wearing the same pair of tennis shoes that he had before I was born. 
They were nasty and kind of green from mowing the yard in them. Same shoes. Then he bought some more. Some white Velcro ones like you get at Walmart. He had those for like 15 years. Okay? And that's kind of how I am. I'm like, hey, they fit. Let's go. It's just not a temptation for me. Okay? Um, but, but, oh man, I would love, love to spend every penny I have on going to some fancy restaurants and eating some really good food. It's more of a temptation for me. Some of you are like, eh, who cares about that? And I say, you're a fool! But that's because it's my temptation. And sometimes the adversary uses my temptation, whatever that is, to pull me off the path. Now let's be more honest about it. For some of us, it's something deeper. Our temptation is to use people to get what we want. We're good at it. We can make people kind of like us in such a way that we can use them. I think that would have been a temptation for Jesus. And some of us have that same ability. And it's real easy when we step off the path from Jesus to start seeing people as things to be used rather than people to be loved and honored. For some of us, the temptation is to try to get our way in this world through anger and physical stature. I'm bigger, stronger, louder, and I can get you to do what I... Notice how meek and gentle Jesus is. And so sometimes we have to, when that's our temptation... Go back to the path of the kingdom of God. Here's what I want you to hear tonight. I don't know what your temptation is. You do. And if you're honest, you really do. Because there's like the temptation we'll admit. And then there's like the temptation that's really real. You know what I'm talking about? Like you get a group of people together. You say, hey, what are you tempted by? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tempted by, you know, fame and fortune. See, you can say that because you're not famous or fortunate. So it's like it's easy, right? But, but the real truth underneath there is that I'm really, really, really tempted really tempted to make greed or sex my God and be tempted and follow that path. You see, spiritual warfare isn't simply demons fighting with angels. Spiritual warfare is every time something tries to pull us off the path of following Jesus, and we have to stand up and say, no, get behind me. Get behind me. I refuse to be selfish this time. I really want to be, but I refuse. Get behind me. I really want to only think about myself, but I refuse. Get behind me. That is spiritual warfare. And you are engaged in it, if we're honest, every day. If you think a spiritual battle is what happens every once in a while, 
When a demon shows up, then you are being fooled by the spiritual forces around you. It happens every day. Let me give you one of my favorite examples. This is from one of my favorite preachers in the world, William Williman. He says, in one of my congregations, we decided that we needed to grow. We voted to launch a program of evangelism. We studied a program from our denomination telling us how to get new members. Among other things, the church growth program advocated a system of door-to-door visitation. So we organized ourselves into groups of two, and on an appointed Sunday afternoon, we set out to visit to invite people to our church. The teams went out, armed with packets of pamphlets describing our congregations, flyers portraying me, the smiling pastor, inviting people to our church. Each team was given a map with the team's assigned street. Helen and Gladys were given a map. They were clearly told to go down Summit Drive and to turn right. That's what they were told. I heard the team leader tell them, you go down Summit Drive and turn right. Do you hear me, Helen? That's down Summit Drive and turn right. But Helen and Gladys, both approaching 80, after lifetimes of teaching elementary school, were better at giving than receiving directions. They turned left venturing down into the housing projects to the west of Summit Drive, which meant that Helen and Gladys proceeded to evangelize the wrong neighborhood and thereby ran the risk of evangelizing the wrong people. Late that afternoon, each team returned to the church to make its report. Helen and Gladys had only interested one person, a woman named Verlene. Nobody on their spurious route was interested in visiting our church. Nobody except Verlene. She lived with her two children in a three-room apartment in the projects, we were told. Although she had never been to a church in her life, Verlene wanted to visit ours. This is what you get, I said to myself, when you don't follow directions. When you want, won't do what the pastor tells you to do, this is what you get. The next Sunday, Helen and Gladys proudly presented Verlene at the 11 o'clock service. Verlene, along with her two feral-looking children... Verlene liked the service so much, she said, that she wanted to attend the Women's Thursday Bible study. Helen and Gladys said they would pick her up. On Thursday, Verlene appeared, proudly clutching her new Bible, a gift of Helen's circle, the first Bible Verlene had ever seen, much less owned. I was leading the study that morning on Luke 4, the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Have any of you ever been faced with temptation and with Jesus' help resisted? I asked the group after presenting my material. Have any of you refused some temptation because of your Christian commitment? One of the women told about how, just the week before, there was some confusion in the supermarket checkout line. And before she knew it, she was standing in the supermarket, par- par- supermarket parking lot with a loaf of bread that she had not paid for. At first I thought, why should I pay for it? They have enough money here as it is. But then I thought, no, you are a Christian. So I went back in the store and paid for that loaf of bread. I made some approving comment. It was then that Verlene spoke. A couple of years ago, I was into cocaine really big. You know what that's like. You know how that stuff makes you crazy. Well, anyway, my boyfriend, not the one I've got now, the one who was the daddy of my first child, that one, well, we robbed a gas station one night. Got $200 out of it. It was as simple as taking candy from a baby. Well, my boyfriend says to me, hey, 
let's knock off that 7-Eleven down the corner. And something in me, it says, no, I've held up a gas station with you, but I'm not going to hold up no convenience store. He beat the crud out of me, but I still said no. It felt great to say no, because that's the only time in my life I ever said no to anything. Made me feel like I was somebody. Through the stunned silence, I managed to mutter, well, uh, yep, that's resisting temptation. That's sort of what this text is about. And now it's time for our closing prayer. <laughs> After I stumbled out of the church parlor and was standing out in the parking lot helping Helen into her car, she said to me, You know, I can't wait to get home and get on the phone and invite people to come next Thursday. Your Bible studies used to be dull, but I think I can get a good crowd for this. <laughs> Spiritual warfare is a woman standing up and saying, no, I refuse. I've never said no before, but I'm not doing it. It's wrong. It's spiritual warfare. Warfare is the battle for our souls. And we are all in it every day. When that anger arises, when that desire to just fulfill our own wants and needs and not care about anybody else, that is a battle for our soul. And it happens daily. So here's my encouragement to you tonight. My encouragement to you tonight is to open your eyes. Open your eyes and see the spiritual battle you're in. Not just the battle that happened that one time, that one night when things were difficult. I understand that. I'm talking about the daily battle. The minute by minute battle. This moment with Jesus wasn't the only time He was tempted to walk away from the path of the cross. But over and over again, He faced that temptation and resisted and said no and kept going. Sometimes the greatest act a Christian does is to look temptation in the eye and say, I know I've done it before, but not today. Not this time. This time, I'm following the path that I'm set on. Get behind me, Satan. We live in a world, a difficult, sometimes dark and scary world. But the battle isn't just out there. It's in here. And too many of us are refusing to fight where the battle is. If Satan gets you right here, you got nothing left for the battle out there. Do two things for me this week. One, name your temptation. Don't let it be this nebulous thing where like, oh, sometimes I'm tempted to sin. Yeah. Sure. No. What is it? Name it. This is what I am tempted to do. I am tempted to lie about this over and over again. Okay, you named it. And then... 
be willing to stand up to it and say no. No. Let me tell you something. and I'll end with this. <laughs> nothing feels better. I'm convinced almost nothing feels better on earth. Almost nothing feels better than that time when you say no and you fight through it and you go, hey, wait a minute. I usually, wait, I didn't. In that moment, you're following Jesus. You're following his example. You're doing exactly what he would do. Instead of straying from the path, say no and keep going. By the way, you know what the very next thing Jesus said to the disciples was? After he said, get behind me, Satan. Hey, you don't have the things in mind of God. No, 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 no. Then the next thing he says, oh, by the way, you have to pick up your cross and follow me. In other words, Peter, it's not just that you're tempting me away from this path, but this path is your path. This path is your path. The path of Jesus is not easy. It is a path full of temptation to go to the left or to the right, to chase after something else in this world. Jesus' call is to keep going, to say no, and keep going.